Carnivorous couch Shit happens once a week It swallows us for two hours When we try to sleep It forces us to watch a film About which we then speak Carnivorous couch With Brady and Rob Hey everybody, everybody, hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of Carnivorous Couch, the film podcast where we do a film a week from two film geeks. Brady, is something wrong? No, I was going to ask you, you looked very concerned. No, no, no. At any rate, this has been a while since we've done this, so Brady doesn't remember quite how it goes. We'll just call him out of sorts today. How what goes? Recording a podcast. <laughs> no, no, I know what co- I know what happens. We do a, a synopsis. At any rate, thank you for joining us on Carnivorous Couch. You've heard Brady speak. You've heard me speak. These are the two people who were here, Brady and Rob. And this is it. It's just us. And this week we did 1984's Night of the Comet. Something I've suggested many, Comet. many, many times. And to be honest, I was expecting this to be like a bad, cheesy movie, and it. It turns out it's actually yeah, it's pretty it's a good movie. standard, decent, like, uh, you know, B-horror movie. Yeah, and quite a creative one at that, I would say. Right? Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Indeed. So, Indeed. now here's the most important question we're going to ask on the podcast. Brady, how are you doing today, my man? I'm great! Woo! I, that's louder than we mic'd <laughs> before. I'm good. No, that's how, perfect. How I, you doing? I got you just right. Um, I'm, I'm really keeping it together. I'm doing good. It's been a while since we've done this. I believe our last one we recorded was in March, and I haven't released it yet. So Well, it's it's like flying a bike. So this one, and the one from February, and the one from March will all just drop at the same time. And Boom. I'll, and I'll backdate them. That's <laughs> so I'll be like, what, you guys missed them? Like, not paying attention. It's not my fault. <laughs> I didn't slip behind in my production schedule. That's right. That's right, baby. So... But, May 16th? May 16th. That's the day? Yeah. Uh, exactly three years since I got hit in the noggin. Uh, yeah. yeah. Anniversary. Yeah. Well, I'm doing better now than I was a year ago. And was doing better then than I was a year before that. So. Uh, yeah. No, I say, you know, obviously it's a sad thing, but uh, mark that occasion well. Pour yourself a good scotch. And be like, I'm out of scotch, but oh no! <laughs> You're right. Cheers. cheers. We'll, we'll clink our our beer cans together. Um, but I'm not drinking beer because I I'm celiac, so I'm drinking cider. Ah um, uh, yes. At any rate, um, yeah. So we're here. We're going to discuss this episode. We know how we're doing, and uh, it's from 1984. It's called Night of the Comet. It is, and it's starring oh Robert Beltran. Robert Beltran. But who's the who are the women? One I, of them is named I don't know. like Kelly Maroney, and the other oh, this is so bad. <laughs> they're, they're, the, they're the leads. They're the leads more than Beltran is. Uh, Beltran's probably more famous. But. Yeah, you know Robert Beltran went on to do Star Trek Voyager as uh, Commander Chakotay. I haven't decided yet, but I may just refer to him as Chakotay for this entire podcast. <laughs> no, that's so bad. <laughs> Why? Why is that bad? <laughs> Well, cause fun, fun I, thing to do. I know, it's fun. <laughs> I mean, it, it is weird that he's like, he's a Hispanic actor of note, but he's most known for playing a Native American. That's true. 
But at any rate, uh, Catherine Mary Stewart. Thank you. Is the name of the actress who plays Regina Reggie Belmont, and then Kelly Maroney you got right is Ooh. Samantha Sam Belmont. Uh, yeah, and uh, uh, I read their friends to this day, so that's kind of sweet. You always like it when a, a cast is close and they stay close. Yeah, if you're in a B movie, you stay as close as everybody in Deep Space Nine. Yeah, I, I, and I would also say that's probably very true, uh, as in this case, if you're in a cult movie, uh, you probably go to a lot of midnight screenings That's and stuff. true. So when I was suggesting this, I saw it on... Uh, I couldn't think of the right word. I know the right word isn't ironically, but I guess coincidentally, I saw this mm -hmm. on the Comet TV station. No, yeah. of the Comet on Comet at uh, night. No, it was, it was, it was in the, the morning, of, you idiot. Well, I worked at a TV station. It was in the <laughs> middle of the workday. Uh, yes. So uh, you know. Oh uh, wait, because we have Comet now too, right? Yeah. Our TV, the TV yeah. station I work at, which is around here, uh -huh. broadcasts it, and yes, we can get it on, on the antenna, just like everybody. Yeah, that's where we watched that, that one, movie, <laughs> with the farmers. Oh no, that was uh, we were watching that on uh, Pluto TV. Oh, well, all these space terms, man. What are they trying to do to me? Only one person, only one station gets to use a space term from now on. <laughs> you know, I'm finding... What about Galaxy 7? <laughs> if, I, if I am in fact having... That's a movie theater. Yes. <laughs> I, I'm finding that if I am indeed having some kind of mental lapse lately, it's coming out a lot like Fred Willard. That's someone I should do an understudy one of these days. You know, from the Christopher Guest movies. Yeah. I'm Fred Willard. <laughs> you just think these dogs are eaten in other countries. Okay, let's get into the plot synopsis. I'll do it. I'll do it as best as I can. You do it. I would appreciate as it. As best as I can, just from memory, because we just watched it. We actually watched this right after Playtime, which is our previous episode and uh, on Pi Day, right? Yeah, you're um, right. And Pi Day being, for those you don't know, 3.14. 3.14. Mm -hmm. uh, now we're watching this again past... Again. I mean, well, we watched it on the 21st, right? A week after. We, we did. just didn't get around to doing the podcast. And so we've watched it today. Mm, quite... <laughs> I don't know why this this date-based humor is uh, important and why I'm putting it into the podcast. But uh, after May 4th. May I, the 4th be with you. Star Wars Day. Star Wars Day. Um, and it is now May 16th. Again, the anniversary of my getting conked on the head by a car. Yeah. Somebody picked up the car and hit me with it. Um, <laughs> that's how that happened. Yeah. Um, so at any rate, um, we're going into the plot synopsis, which I'm just going to do fresh out of my brain here because I didn't take notes because I got notes from when we watched it back on the 21st, and that's how the subject came up. Well, we open with Regina. Reggie is playing video games and she's gonna get this oh, I actually do have a note on this so I will get the initials that she's got to bounce off the thing right well and don't forget there's a little uh, prologue no that, prologue oh buddy. you're right that happens in the plot too yes there's a, a prologue which sounds very Douglas Adamsy, which is like uh -huh. the visitor was once here around the time the dinosaurs died. Time of the dinosaurs. Many people and the dinosaurs died after the visitor left uh, all at once. Many people think this is a coincidence. Some 
do not. And then we go yeah. to Reggie, who's pissed off. The DMK, whoever the hell DMK is, D Diabolical Mortal Kombat, uh, I'll <laughs> say is, is his actual name. Yeah. Um, or her actual name. Or their actual name. Um, and she's mad that DMK has come between her and her high score at number six on the Tempest game. So, essentially, she's trying to beat him at that. Then she goes up and sees the dude in the projector booth who's on the phone with somebody going like, yo, I'm, I, I, I got this shit in 3D. You ought to come pick it up, bro. Make a bootleg copy and pay me some money. Which means that Regina's got to stay late. Correct. He's, he's dealing uh, reels out of uh, the exactly. movie theater where he projects. So they're in this metal box, box which is known as a projector booth. And at any rate, uh, this is cross-cut with um, her calling her sister and saying, Make, I made up the story for our stepmom, so, uh, you know, that's why I'm not coming home tonight. Yeah, they got a mean stepmom who right. punches the sister. Um, yes, she gets in a fight with the sister. Meanwhile, everybody else in the world is going nuts about this comet thing. The comet's coming back. There's, there's an old man going like, well, back in 1910 when Haley's comet came back, everybody thought the world was going <laughs> to end, but it didn't. There's <laughs> real, like, Independence Day-ish partying in the streets. Yeah, exactly. So, um, all that's going on. And Doris, the stepmom, is throwing a party, and she gets in a physical altercation with Sam, the youngest daughter, um, stepdaughter, and uh, punches her in the face. So she writes a note, I'm running away from home, and goes and sleeps in a garden shed. And then she's like, eh, I'll come back and go to Pep Squad team, and then actually run away. Uh, can I say, because there's nowhere else I would say this, uh, Doris doesn't seem much like a Doris to me. No. She sort of seems she more seems, like a Joan. She I seems too young. She's yeah, like, like a Joan she's or She's got that, like, that brittle meanness, and Doris is like, I was a flapper girl. <laughs> <laughs> there are no new Dorises. She, they stopped making them. Oh, she could be a Karen. She yeah. should be a Karen. Put a business suit on her or something, and yeah, she's, she's got, got shoulder pads. Got the shoulder pads, that crimped '80s hair, and she straight punches her stepdaughter <laughs> in the face. <laughs> she, she slaps her first, and then the stepdaughter slaps her back, and then she just like does that that thing that's only done in movies where they grab you by the shirt first <laughs> and then punch you and like let. And then they like nobody <laughs> does that in real life. They just clock you. They don't grab your shirt first. <laughs> well, it's such a giveaway. Yeah, like, right. I think I know what's coming next. Well, I think the idea is if I grab you by your shirt, then now you can't get away when I punch you. Uh, yeah, no, that that makes sense. But at any rate, nobody does that in real life. It's always done in movies, though. At any rate, so. Then we go on, and Regina is waking up in the morning next to her projectionist boyfriend kind of guy, and he's all pissed off because the dude hasn't come by to pick up, the, uh, bring back the print yet. He flaked on him. He flaked on him, and she's like, "Don't worry, he's just late. He'll be here." And so, uh, boyfriend, I forget his name. Do you remember? No. Oh, I mean, I've got it written down. I guess I'll, I guess I'll look at my notes. I'll not do the thing that Probably I said. Probably like I would. Kurt or something. Uh, no, it's not that. It's like I want to say Carl. Brophy. Eh, well, actually, I don't have it written down. At any rate, um, he goes out. To, he's gonna go over to the guy's place and yell at him and say, "Give me the print back." But there's a zombie out there, and it hits him in the head with a wrench, and I guess hides his body. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because his body's gone from then on. Um, 
I guess he just wasn't around for shooting more than one day. <laughs> um, so then Regina is playing video games, and then like she looks outside, and she's like, this is all weird. And she goes outside, and she gets locked out of the theater, so she has to go around to the back alley. Mm -hmm. And she encounters the zombie, kicks his ass, finds her boyfriend. We'll just call him Carl for now. Um, Carl, I think he could be a Carl. Yeah, keys on the ground. And like takes his motorcycle and drives home. She notices everything's empty, nothing is going on, and notices there's all these piles of clothes on the street with, filled with red calcium dirt. And it's just everybody's gone. There's there's, there's cars gone. stopped at stoplights, and, and everybody's just not there. But she gets home, and Sam's there making some raisin bran. Sam has no idea anything is going on. <laughs> Sorry, I just find I find that phrase very funny. <laughs> That's literally what she's doing in the film. Um, Sam's there making some raisin bran, and Regina's Reggie is trying to get this through. We should just keep calling her Reggie. Her, her name's Reg Reggie. fits her better, damn it. Yeah, um, she's Reg, like her arcade initials. Reggie! Reggie. Hey, Reggie! Reggie! So, at any rate, she um, is trying to get it through to her sister, like, look, this is our neighbor kid. This is everybody's dirt now. Everybody's gone. And then they hear the radio, and they go, but the radio DJ's still there. Let's go talk to the radio DJ. Now, it turns out just to be a recording. But uh, And then when they're there, they meet Chicote, or Hector. Hector. Um, Hector is the name of the... He's a truck driver. He was driving. He, you know, he picked up some floozy, well, runaway, on the road, mm -hmm. and <laughs> spent the night in his truck with her. Also steel, so he survived. And then... Um, uh, he's explaining all this to them, and he's like, I'm going to go check out to see if my mom's good down down south. Um, meanwhile, Sam is messing with the controls and just cranks up all the things, turns off the automation, and starts talking to the radio, going like, hey, call the hits line if you want to talk to us. Is anybody out there? Blah, blah, blah. Now, these people in a lab in a bunker in Los Alamos hear the radio station. They've been monitoring the airwaves, you know, trying to figure mm -hmm. out if anybody has survived. And they go, they argue a little bit about whether or not they're going to go and find them. And I think uh, the men decide they are, even though Laura, our kind of anti antagonist uh, on that team, uh, doesn't want to go and doesn't think it's worth going and bringing anybody back because we're all going to die. All right. And as we will learn, some of the reasons they bring people in, kind of nefarious. Well, no, they realize they've all been exposed, and I'll just put it this way now. Um, they're going to find all the survivors and take their blood so they can develop a serum to cure themselves. At any rate, at this point, um, Hector goes and gets some guns for the girls and goes to his mom's thing and then comes back with them, and they're doing target practice on carts. Their dad's a, a war hero. He's off in some banana republic fighting yeah. something, and so he's trained them to fight and shoot guns and stuff since they were little girls. Uh, have we said, what what merry time of year does this film take this place? This is a Christmas movie. Oh. Th and there's a lot of reminders, like uh, Hector has to throw a uh, a Christmas tree when he's at his mom's place, yeah. at, at a zombie kid. Where what's playing on the turntable? Feliz Navidad. Feliz Exactly. So... Sorry, Hector uh, has to not kill a zombie kid, but encounters one when he's at his mom's thing. He brings back guns. They do target practice. They decide to go to the mall. Um, 
and actually, I guess he well, just at this point he's not back yet. He, that's true. He had guns. He gave him I guns guess. before he, just he gave left. him guns. He's like, ah, I keep a truck full of guns all the time. Yeah. Uh, and then he went to his mom's. At any rate, they go to the mall and they're just like, let's try on all the things we want. Let's get all the shit together. But these evil stock boys decide that they're going to put on weird, spooky goth makeup and uh, and mm. protect the mall. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, meanwhile, they they get in a gunfight with them, and then the guys take them captive. What happens is the people from the lab at Los Alamos who are looking for them suss out, well, where would these kids go? The mall, obviously. And they shoot the bad stock boys. And now they decide, all right, Regina, Reggie, she's good. Um, so we'll take her back. And Samantha, eh, kind of weak. She, she's got, like, skin allergies and shit, probably bad blood. Uh, we'll just kill her. Mm -hmm. But the main antagonist, Laura, doesn't kill her. She shoots her up with sodium pentothal to make it look like she's dead. Then she takes the actual killer drug and goes back to the radio station to wait for Ticote Hector. And then in when she meets him, she goes, here's a pad of all the shit that's happened, and shoots herself up and dies. Now, why does she kill herself? Because she knows she's doomed because she's been... Oh, she's got the, yeah, the illness. They, they've all got it. All the people in, right. in the Los Alamos lab, they left the vents open. Right, right. And they're all going to die. And that's um, why they're blood harvesting. Right. But there's all these people who survived the thing. And the argument is, well, can we use their good blood to make a serum so that we live? But we're going to have to take way more blood than they could live without. Yeah, anyway. yeah. So at any rate, they're blood harvesting and all that stuff. So... Reggie goes back to the thing. Chicote Hector gets all of the um, all of the information from her. Gets a Buick from his mom's. I guess is where he got. I think mm -hmm. he took the, the family car because it goes fast. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and he decides he's going to go rescue them. He has Sam in tow, who isn't dead. She's just been shot up with sodium pentol, and. Um, so at the place, now, now the, the plot actually kind of coalesces, which becomes Hector and everybody else escape from Los Alamos place yeah. because these blood-harvesting sons of bitches. Um, so, eh, essentially, we don't have to go into the details. He goes there. Uh, um, Reggie escapes uh, before he gets there. Everybody meets up. There's a couple cute kids mm -hmm. uh, in there as well. And so the one, two, three, four, five of them get out um, in yeah, Buick. They, they, and, and they blow, blow up. And they blow up all the, all the bad doctors who yeah, are trying to make a serum and blood harvest everybody. Yeah. And then they, um, Reggie and Hector and the two kids, Reggie and Chicote Hector, <laughs> two kids um, basically say, we're going to form a nuclear family and repropagate the earth with these ideas. And Sam's the young, rebellious, this and that. Some dude almost hits her when she's crossing the street against the light. Then he pulls up and she goes, I'm going to go with you. These guys are lame. And uh, so the six of them exist at the end. Uh, Sam goes off being the rebellious young youth. Um, meanwhile... The people who are responsible and don't cross the street when the light is changing uh, play a game of football in the streets while the credits roll. <laughs> Boom. So that's the plot synopsis. 
And then there's also, there's always uh, the second most important question of the day, right, Brady? Mm-hmm. Hey, 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 how do we like it? How did you like this movie, Brady? I like this movie. It's fun. Um, we can get into, on my What's It All About, kind of the specific sort of fun that it is having and that it, uh, you know, it's kind of footprint. Uh, but, yeah, uh, I mean, it's hard to say anything bad about it. It's, uh, if you like B pictures, this is one that both plays within the rules of a good like zombie movie and someone I think said on Twitter the other day that I kind of agree you never really have terrible zombie movies or at least if you're of my mind uh, I'm fond of the genre uh, and it usually has some bit of social critique that you know it's a it's a fun way to also usually get a social lesson so you know I'm kind of in the tank for zombie movies to begin with I love Dawn of the Dead. I love the, the Romeros. Um, and this one isn't on that level, but what it is, is very light on its feet. Um, I wouldn't say it's like incredibly acted, but it's of that brand where you're, you've just got likable characters. So, you know, these people are just encouraged to have fun. Uh, it, is, it is a fun movie. Uh, I think I'm going to give it, like, uh, you know, bearing in mind that I think it has an important impact on films like it, I'm going to give it, like, a low Plinus. Um, it was good. I, I, it's fun. It's a fun movie. Plinus? Is that a B plus, A minus? It is. Oh, wow. Maybe on the lower end, but, uh, you know, it's it's hugely enjoyable. Right on, right on. Right on. Um, I'm a little disappointed, Brady. Mm. I wanted this movie to be very bad, because those are some of our more fun podcasts, the ones that are, oh, we sure. watch a very bad movie, and then we we, we talk shit and make jokes, um, but uh, now I have to say, this is a pretty decent movie. Yes. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't give it a B plus, A minus, like some people I know. Well, but, for uh, some reason, I thought you were going to go higher than me this time. No, I was going to go B minus. B minus? Okay. Not a C plus. But just to be minus, you know, good, like 81%. Oh, I see. You know, 81% I would consider more of a B, but... 84, 5, 6 is a B. <laughs> I get... This is where it gets weird when you, like, try to do movies in school grade ways. Uh, but, you know, because your, your B minus reads more complimentary, I think, than my B minus. Um, then your B plus A minus, you mean? No, no, I mean, like, when I give a B minus, I'm like... That movie's barely not bad. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. I see. I was going like with an 81. It's not quite an 82. 82 is one of my favorite grades, you know, because I never really liked getting A's. Uh, that's why I didn't yeah. get them. I didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> Sour grades. Um, so, but but suffice to say, you liked this movie. It I like, like this movie. I like the fact that Reggie is kind of like. Um, it's interesting. She's like a prototypical, like, kick-ass character who, you know... Um, like, these B-horror movies at the time were basically just like, how scantily clad can we get the ladies and uh, then do X, Y, and Z, you know, in a, in a sex scene and this and that, blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, those were more like Grindhouse pictures. This was actually a major studio release when it came out. Uh, so it didn't have... Um, it was interesting because it didn't have too much of that um, 
what it did was it used like Sam's dreams to like give the obligatory scenes of zombie cops trying to tear her clothes off. Yeah. And um, didn't bother actually making it part of the narrative, which I liked. Um, hey, it's interesting. It also made Reggie and Sam both kick ass. Like they've been like we've been trained by her, like freaking army sort of a uh, sort of uh, you know father and. Uh, all those sorts of things. I like I like the character of Hector, who's um, yeah. You like Hec- Hector Claus? Well, I mean, nor- at, at first he's just like very straight, but like, by the end of it, he's he's showing up in a Buick with a cowboy hat, going, like, "Why don't you come over here and see how cool this shit is over here?" It, it, which I mean, he's obviously just being a yokel for fun, mm-hmm. but he's having fun in the middle of a zombie movie. That's kind of great. Yeah. Um, I actually like the uh, anti-hero slash villain slash antagonist. Uh, I do, too. I think Laura. she's possible best in show. Yeah, she's. Um, that's a really cool character of just going like, no, it's hopeless, but uh, I'll kill myself. I won't kill you. Yeah, it's kind of got like Tarantino energy. Like she's very, she's super, this tall, thin lady with like kind of like the tough like big 80s she's hair. Got Sarah Connor hair. Yeah, Sarah Connor hair. And she's kind of vamping a bit. <laughs> like you just said Sarah Connor. <laughs> you didn't do the accent, but you said... Sarah Connor hair. Sarah Connor hair. <laughs> Sounds like a Kraftwerk song. Come with me if you want a perm. <laughs> Come with me. Sarah Connor hair. <laughs> but you know, she kind of has like that Daryl Hannah-y like tough vampy energy she's like very weary she's like i hate all these guys i work with (laughs) (sighs) i'm gonna i'm gonna stick this cigarette very close to my big hair even when she kills herself she's doing it as as if she's shooting up heroin or something she's like yeah i'm just gonna kick back (laughs) with a little poison be like you know what in my death you are cute oh santa claus (laughs) Oh, do it, do it right, Santa Claus. Bring me oh. presents. <laughs> <laughs> so, at any rate, wh- I guess what I'm saying is, um, I thought it was going to be really silly and cheesy based on the few moments I saw on the Comet TV channel. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, it wasn't, and I actually really like uh, many of these characters. I don't like Sam as a character that much, but, I mean, I don't dislike her. I'm just like, oh, okay, it's the little sister punk sister sort of thing. Interesting. interesting. And, and I thought it was a, I was a little annoyed by the, every guy I've always wanted to, thought was hot, like you always got first because you're the older sister. Oh, sure. I mean, maybe that's like, like the that, closest it gets to like kind of the regressive female fightiness. Um, but so that, that, was, that was annoying to me, but I mean, it was like, eh, it's also 1984, so like, what are you going to do? That's, yeah, that's I get it. They're, they're trying to give us some fleshed out dynamics between the sisters. Um, it didn't bother me, but you're right that it's like, it's not something I, I could have done well, without I mean, it. I mean, the thing got a major studio release, uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm wondering if those elements were kind of added to get that, like, this was originally going to be... You know, limited release B movie shot for 700k. It was actually shot for much, much less first, and then they kind of pumped it up a little bit, and it did well. Um, you know, for a low budget movie mm-hmm. with a wide Oh wait, release. did it? How how well did it? I, do? I forget. My phone's over here. That's okay, but but well, I mean, it made money, and it became a cult hit. Um, yeah, I think it made money going like, oh, it's the uh, it's the kind of like. 
it's the kind of trashy horror film, you know, uh, mm-hmm. Jason Freddy, Friday the 13th, blah, 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 right. thing that's out right now, so the teenagers will all go see it. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it wasn't initially, it wasn't trying to be that. It was trying to be like a little bit different. Box office, 14.4 million for a budget of 700. Okay, it's a pretty tidy profit for like a 700k movie. Right. Yeah, for basically like an unknown indie that then later uh, develops this this following. Yeah, Yeah. that's respectable. That's respectable. It doesn't have any stars in it, right? Beltran's your biggest star, and that's post mortem, right? Yeah, I I don't mean literally post mortem. I mean (laughs) after this film saw its day and. In the theaters, uh, Robert Beltran became famous. Yeah, he. I, I was reading. He was in a film before this that I, I know is of note. I've never seen it called Eating Raul. So like he was, he was like a guy who, if you were maybe a film fan, like you might might have seen. But you might have seen Robert Beltran in a in a a romantic comedy about cannibalism. Okay. <laughs> yes, you might you might have or might not have. Um, yeah. The anyway. queer subtext in that movie is insane. Oh, wait, have you seen it? No. <laughs> I, I haven't heard of it until just this moment. Uh, yeah, I wish I had more to say. I have no idea what it's about. Well, there is a thing that we do, though, so you will have to say, oh. What's this all about? <laughs> what is Night of the Comet all about? Night of the Comet... Uh, on the like what it's trying to do like message wise level uh is kind of like a loving little critique of like material culture uh and i i think the idea that the filmmaker said uh was that you know he wanted to uh because a movie that comes out around this time in the early 80s i think is valley girl and so like that trope of the like kind of like kind of airheaded but also like there's a, a comedicness to it like yeah and they have like the uh the scientists lampshaded where they go like this place is a monument to consumerism <laughs> right <laughs> and so in the mall. he his idea i think was to put uh, a valley girl like the kind of girl who goes to the mall loves to go shopping and to throw that kind of character into a survival situation so so yeah it is that uh, that in the same way that Dawn of the Dead is that. Um, and is, this, is this pre or post Dawn of the Dead? Uh, post. Oh, it is. Okay. I th- for some reason, I thought Dawn of the Dead was like 86, 85. Oh, no. Dawn of the Dead is in the 70s. I think mid to late 70s. Late 70s. 78 or something. Yeah, 78, something. Okay. Um, and I think I don't think this has its nails out as much for consumer culture as something like Dawn of the Dead, where it's like, look at all of these mindless zombies and they still go to the mall. But it is like, it's more lovingly being like, what happens to a consumer society when this disaster hits it? When there's no people. Yeah, and it's viewing it through this this lens. It's very winking and and more whimsical and fun, uh, obviously. But uh, I think the bigger thing of what's it about is what that decision to throw uh, the Valley Girl into the disaster movie and what its decision to treat those characters with respect and let them have fun, you know, 
none of the characters in this movie are condescended to. Everyone's kind of in on the joke. Uh, and they're all just having fun. And what that leads to, um, <laughs> not a name a lot of people want to hear right now, but I think you can't deny the importance of his style of filmmaking and writing, is Joss Whedon. Uh, Joss Whedon completely admits that the Sam character, you know, the younger sister in this, is what leads to the creation of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Buffy was him drawing from this movie that he likes very oh, much. Oh, it's the Sam character doing it. I thought it was a red. I thought it was a Reggie thing. I know. Apparently, it's the Sam character. Oh, which, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, because well, because I think what it is is like. Reggie, Reggie's more nuanced in some ways, or she's more, like, balanced. Um, and she's just, you know, she's tough when she needs to be, and she's a woman who can take care of herself, and that's great. Uh, but I think what probably resonated with Whedon was the way that this character that could have been played very meanly, and here I'll say I actually like the Sam character a lot. I think she's my favorite character in the movie, because she's where the movie is doing this interesting thing of, like, allowing Sam to have a little bit of ditziness, but she's never played exactly stupidly. And she, you know, both characters are very good at taking care of themselves. I, I really like the, uh, the scene in the radio station where she's just, she's putting out a survival call, but she's kind of having fun and joking around like, hey, I'm on the radio. How about that? That's cool. So before that, she, she delivers a line that's like, do you think things are like this in other places like Burbank? <laughs> Which is obviously lampshading the idea that... Um, that like, oh, her her scope of what she's looking at is so small. So small, yeah. That like, you know, they're just outside of L.A., downtown L.A. proper. And she's like, yeah, but there's places further away, like Burbank. That's all like 30 miles from here. <laughs> That's a good line. Yeah, no, so I think what it is is like the Sam character was probably more influential on in Whedon because she's allowed to have this kind of femininity and and things that are sometimes treated as jokes, you know, like blonde jokes. Uh, but she's allowed to have them and yet they don't hamper her. And so it's the idea of throwing someone like who you just think of, you know, uh, a misogynistic approach would dismiss them as like, how are they going to survive? They, you know, they're so ditzy. This is a classic like bimbo-ish kind of thing. And instead reveals that actually she can she can hack it for herself, uh, and so it's it's that kind of tension between um, embracing like the goofiness of this uh, Valley Girl character while also letting her actually be a badass. Because as you said, they, they both get to kick ass, they get to get in shootouts, and they they're allowed to actually be action movie heroines. Right, but but Reggie's weapon in the shootout is. Um, an Uzi <laughs> or like a Mac Ten, and and uh, Sam's weapon in the shootout is throwing shoes at them. Yeah, it's a shootout. <laughs> yes. <laughs> See, and, and like that, when you say it that way, like that could have been like problematic or mean, but the secret sauce, and I think it is the Whedon thing, uh, is like they're allowed to have fun, so it it keeps things from becoming condescending or mean when you allow the character to be in on their own joke. Well, yeah, she also stands up and straight up slaps her stepmom. Yeah. <laughs> like, her, her stepmom slaps her like you slap a kid. I mean, not I do, but, like, people do in movies. And, like, she 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 goes goes at her with, like, a stronger slap, I think. 
And then the stepmom, like, does the aforementioned shirt grab punch. <laughs> yeah, and see, so, so there's the thing. The toughness is there from the start. And what I like about this character, why she's my favorite character in the movie, is I think the actress plays it with enough knowingness. There's a knowingness of, like, all right, I know what type I am. Yes, I'm obsessed with boys. I want to kiss and make out with boys. I like to shop. I know that about myself, and I know how society perceives that. Uh, th- and I get a lot of that from this performance, which I, I like. Because uh, it's, yeah, th- this movie, like I, I'll say, isn't the slightest bit sexist. And it's navigating a minefield where not only could it easily have been, but it's the kind of place where horror movies typically are sexist. Here's something interesting. Well, and I also might be speaking out of my depth here because I oh, might yeah. be wrong, but um, at the time when this movie came out, the whole critique of, you know, misogyny, the female gaze and stuff, like, wasn't really strong and crit at that particular moment. It wasn't the 70s. Like, Laura mm-hmm. Mulvey had her, her big day, but in the 80s, everything kind of went a little more consumerist and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, it's, uh, the 80s are in many ways kind of a regressive decade. Uh, you know, they're materialistic and shallow at their worst. And, and But so that's interesting because this exists in that time, I guess, and is very knowingly playing with that. Uh, but here's another interesting thing. Let's get off Sam and go back to Reggie. Uh, one of the biggest horror movie tropes is the person who chooses to have sex dies, right? Right. And, and so, yeah, they put her in the metal box at the beginning with the uh, projectionist guy yeah, who's it, paying her. And she has sex, but not in a titillating way. Like, I don't remember any actual flesh. It's just something that happens. So it doesn't ogle her, and it also doesn't punish her for it. Uh, punishes him. It punishes him. Yeah, that's, yeah, there you go. So, yeah, he gets smacked in the head with a wrench. And, and also, yeah, um, she's under the covers the whole time. And, and you know, they, they kind of make it clear that she's not upset about this whole situation. She's not mm. pining for him or blah, blah, blah. She, she wants to have sex. She wants to have some sex. Yeah. She's going to get a little money for this whole film reel deal. She's right. And also, she wants to make sure it's not characterized like that. It's yeah. Like, she's let's like, not just be, I'm getting paid for making it with you. It's just like, you know. And, and also, he still kind of bounces back the misogynist speak at her. Just like, oh, you'd be worth more than 15 bucks. Uh, yeah, and, and she rolls her eyes. And she, yeah, she's all pissy about that, uh, you know, because she doesn't like the idea of it uh, equating. No, no. Uh, so yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, it, it's pretty cool what it establishes. Even if the guy who is the major banner bearer for it ended up uh, not being, uh, well, basically. Kind of the problem with Woody Allen, too, I guess. You've got these directors like a Whedon or, or Woody Allen who are great for creating really fun, rich female roles. And, and then, uh, unfortunately, it turns out that their public behavior towards women is is terrible. Um, and that sucks. Uh, you know. And the same with Louis C.K. more recently. It's like you'd hope that someone who at least has the artistic wherewithal to create a very nuanced female roles uh, would bear that out more in their their actual dealings with the opposite sex. But for better or worse, though, Joss Whedon aside, I'd say this template is very alive and well. I mean, the Whedon template that this helps to kind of foster 
is totally what the Marvel movies are, right? Like Whedon's approach in Avengers, which is, again, genre is serious, but you allow the characters to muck around and have awareness of genre within genre, I think is like one of the biggest trends in film for a good portion of the last 10 years at least. Yeah, and I mean, to bring it to something that you and I have uh, both been watching, we've been, mm -hmm. well, for me, re-watching, but we were all watching Deep Space Nine, like, ah, yes. you know, like, this sort of uh, genre, strong, tough, I can take care of myself, is very much, uh, like, you know, Deep Space Nine was 25 years ago, mm -hmm. um, but Star Trek picked up this mantle with the character of Kira Norris, or like even in Discovery nowadays, you know, the Michael Burnham character is right. is kind of that. The I'm just trying to bring in Star Trek because we've been <laughs> watching so much of it, but um, I'm just trying to say like that, you know, s ideas that are in this film about be it the Reggie character, be it the Sam character, depending on how you want to classify those. Um, and you know whatever was going on at the time in film and media and stuff is continuing <laughs> that's the point i'm trying to make oh sure ab absolutely yeah no no I, I see what you're saying um in some ways i see difference because star trek is a little more played straight but what you have here i think and i'm, I'm gonna get really out of my depth now uh but i think is the the enriching of genre, which feels like a backhanded compliment, because I think genre films have always been pretty terrific. But, you know, just kind of the mutation and uh, the pushing back against the idea that genre properties have to play by certain rules. And, you know, in the case of some B pictures, it led to genre films that didn't have rich characterization. And, you know, the very kind of cheapness and exploitativeness that a movie like this is pushing against. Uh, and that, you know, as time has gone by, I think we have seen with Star Trek, Star Trek was always pretty rich with its characters. Um, but, you know, with stuff like this and with the, the Romero zombie movies and what Whedon's done, kind of, uh, I guess, just a willingness to play jazz with genre. Yeah, and like to build off of that, like when did Die Hard come out? Uh, 88. Oh, 88. So that's past this. All right. But that would mean it's in the wake of it. It's, right. it's playing I mean, around. Like, uh, the point I was going to make, which won't oh, work now with it being after or before, <laughs> but it <laughs> is the... And, I mean, maybe it, it is... Well, Gremlins. Uh, Gremlins. When's Gremlins? Gremlins is... I think the first one's 84. 84. Okay, so maybe Gremlins just came out. No, they were probably shooting this in 83. Um, my idea was going to be, and it, it still can work just the opposite way, like the idea of him being in the Santa costume, and maybe that's more of the consumerist take of them going to the shopping mall and right. Christmas being the, the thing, and he's showing up in the Santa co costume. Um, but uh, I, was, I was thinking... Santa... Gremlins, Christmas, Die Hard, Christmas, um, <laughs> these things, and then also just kind of, you know, using Romero's idea from Dawn of the Dead before, mm -hmm. um, you know, the shopping mall being the place where you set this kind of stuff, and the stock boys, you know, um, just the idea of pastiche, right, where it's like, oh, if you're making your first movie and you're just trying to make it work and, and you've got funding for it or whatever, like, 
well, where are we going to get all these plot points from? Well, what did they do in other movies I like? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> like, let's just, let's just grab little tidbits here and there. Like, you know, a guy in a Santa costume. Yeah, okay, that's a good thing. And, but it, and throw it all in there, um, which, I mean, a lot of people don't like that and go, like, that's hacky and that's di- this and that, blah, blah, blah. It's I like, liked it. It's <laughs> like, well, no. I mean, if, the, if that's what you like and you're choosing it because you like it, not just because you need something, um, you know, whoever you are in making this uh, shines through. Right. And right. That's, that's the beauty of pastiche and so forth and so on. We actually haven't said who directed this. Tom Eberhardt. Tom Eberhardt, good. Tom well, with an H. Well, you, Tom Eberhardt. Eberhard. Yes. Um, so I'm, for my what's it all about, I'm going to play off you a little bit, but um, I think the strong female character is, is part of it, but I think that there's, and it's highlighted by the ending, that there's this weird push between, like, there's different ways to be a strong female, right? Right, Like, yeah. Doris, the character of Doris is obviously not the way, right? She's kind of weak in all things. Uh, she's mm-hmm. she's married the guy who's absent and she's mm, kind of playing around with the neighbor neighbor men and yeah, and this and that um, and you know she lets she lets the the stepdaughters get her goat to the point where she has to like punch them and shit and like you know she doesn't have much control over them and she's trying to feign that she has the authority it, it's it's the stepmom stereotype right yeah i mean she she sucks <laughs> and then there's reggie who's like i'm 18 i can do what i want blah blah blah, 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 blah. and like you know i can sleep with this guy if i want and that's fine and then there's like sam who's like i should be able to do whatever i want all your ideas about what i am allowed to do and blah 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 are, are bs maybe i like pep squad maybe i also like boys Maybe I like this and that. Maybe I'll punch you. <laughs> Maybe I'll slap you back and go sleep in the garden shed and like, like take off. Right. Right. And it it's kind of um, highlighted at the end where Regina's gone. Uh, okay, so yes, I, I'm a strong woman, and yes, I'm part of this survivor culture that the six of us now are <laughs> <laughs> creating, and I'm going to create it in the uh, image of the old culture. Right. Me and Robert Beltran and these two kids, who are um, multinational, by the way, they're uh-huh. a little blonde-haired yeah, white yeah. boy and an Asian girl. Asian, uh, I, I guess. Well, I I don't know. I don't know from where. <laughs> I always feel bad saying Asian, because I don't know enough about the difference between Chinese, Korean, Japanese. So oh, far. right. Well, um, yeah, I mean, I... But, yeah. but yeah, clearly, I mean, at this point, uh, society didn't really either. It's 1984, <laughs> so they just went, Asian child, yes, okay. You don't believe in Santa? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but at any rate, so she's going to create this, this nuclear unit. Sam even says, That's, that looks like the Brady Bunch. <laughs> and uh, she's going to go run off with uh, this other... A uh, young boy in in a convertible, um, and sort of the youth will will do their own thing. Fuck it. <laughs> so like kind of the dichotomy between both those things are strong, mm-hmm. right? Eighty uh, four would be in the heart of the punk movement, right? So Sam would be more punk rock, even though she's doing a uh, preppy outfit and and uh, and cheerleading. Yeah, and cheerleading. But uh, Reggie would be more interested in, um, 
Well, it's weird because it plays with the thing. Like, she's always talking about the nerdy boys being wimps and this and that, mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. Which is more of a societal... Like, you know, this is the way society views those those wimpy, uh, weak, weak muscled, right. boy, smart boys. Um, so, um, it's, I guess it plays it both ways, but I got the idea that Sam was supposed to be the rebellious youth and that Reggie was going to be the one to kind of like grow up and be mature and we're going to have a family, damn it, and cross the street when the yeah, <laughs> light is green. She's upholding the rule of law and the sisters like, well, there is no law. It's just us. Let's rock out. Um, you know, it, it's cute. It's a cute ending. But I, I like the ending a lot because it's like now society, however few people are left, is in pupil form again. It's going to rebuild again. But like you say, these these dichotomies are there at the smallest level. Uh, the the des desire to rebel and the person being like, no, no, wait, we need certain rules. Don't cross against the light. Yeah, I would also say I glossed over in, in the uh, the uh, plot synopsis that eventually the red dust is gone out of the atmosphere and it's being washed down the drain and everything's kind of getting blue skies and normal. Yeah, along again. with the clothing. Right. Um, so given that's what it's all about, I don't quite know how to fit in, and I think maybe it's a non sequitur, so it just doesn't matter. I, I don't quite know how to fit in the uh, deranged stock boys. <laughs> who are now protecting the mall and playing, hey, hey, <laughs> let's play scary sounds. I'm going to cock this gun. That's a scary sound, isn't it? And, and, like, for some reason, he pulls off his sunglasses, which he's wearing in the dark anyway, and he's got, like, big black makeup circles and stuff like that. It's like, uh -huh. I'm spooky. <laughs> like, I don't, I, I think that maybe that, when was, the, when did the Warriors come out? <laughs> The Warriors? Uh, early 80s, I want to say. Okay, so maybe, the, again, this, this, this gentleman who was making this film, you, you had the name. Tom Everhart. Tom. Maybe Tom was just going like, yeah, and I liked Warriors, so let's throw a little bit of that in there, too. <laughs> yeah, no, you, I mean, you're right, because I think he is playing pastiche, and uh, I think someone I was reading pointed out that you know, the Omega Man is very present in the kind of, like, sinister chemical lab sets, like the big, the big spooky <laughs> sci-fi future sets. So, yeah, it's that. It's Dawn of the Dead. I think this is very much a, a movie that's kind of paying homage to, to B-movie tropes that it likes, that this director enjoys. And, and that's fitting, because what happens? It inspires a bunch of other people to go and do the same thing. He's like, this is fun. It's a sandbox. We play around with this stuff and, like, go nuts. Be creative with it. Uh, it almost, I don't think this is much like a Tarantino movie in many ways, but it is in the sense that it's... Um, well, it's it is sort of what he does, fun. right? Yeah, it's like, trying he, to have he goes, fun. I like this this thing from this movie and this thing from this movie. I'm going to put them all in my movie. Right, and it's trying to have fun with and in some ways deepen, um, putting that in quotes, deepen uh, genre tropes that in the past were seen dismissively, were seen as cheap. Indeed. Uh, do you want to run off and do understudy and then we can talk about individual scenes with this movie later in further discussion? Sure. Okay. Let's go. Okay.
We're so sorry we couldn't get the actors to do the scene from this screenplay, but we've got two understudies, and to be honest, they're probably more famous anyway. So try to guess the actors, try to guess the movies. Tweet us at C A R N Y Couch. This game called Understudy is happening, happening, happening right now. Oh, hey, Doc. Moist, my evil moisture buddy. What's going on? Life of crime. Got your mail. Hey, didn't you, uh, didn't you go on a date last night? Conflict Diamond told me you were doubling with bait and switch. Yeah. Yeah? It was all right. I kind of thought I was supposed to end up with bait, but... I hear you. I saw Penny today. Oh. You talked to her? So close. I'm just a few weeks away from a real, audible connection. I'm going to ask. Oh my god! Is that from the League? It's from him. That's his seal, isn't it? The leader? The... Oh my god! I got a letter from Bad Horse! That's... very hardcore, but... Bad Horse is a legend. He he rules the league with an iron fist. Are you sure you want to... <clears throat> bad Horse, Bad Horse, Bad Horse, Bad Horse. He rides across the nation, the thoroughbred of sin. He got the application that you just sent in. It needs an evaluation to let the games begin. A heinous crime, a show of force, a murder would be nice, of course. Bad horse, bad horse, bad horse, he's bad. The evil league of evil is watching, so beware. The grade that you receive will be your last, we swear. So make the bad horse grateful, or he'll make you his mare. You're saddled up, there's no recourse. It's high-ho, Silver! Signed, Bad Horse. It's not a no. Are you kidding? This is great! I'm about to pull a major heist. You know the wonderflonium that I need for the freeze ray. It's being transported tomorrow. Armored car? Courier van. Candy from a baby. You need anything dampened or made soggy or... Thanks, but the League is watching. I've got to go this alone. That was understudy. Tweet us your answer at C-A-R-N-Y couch. That was a fun round of understudy. I hope to God you were singing, didn't just totally go... <laughs> well, I'm just looking at the audio signal on the monitor going like, oh no. Oh, wait, 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 Rob. History. The first understudy to feature singing. We gotta, you know, we gotta play off of our lore here. Yeah, but when we do sound check and I say, be as loud as you're gonna be, and then you go come at it like fucking 100% louder. But wait, let's just acknowledge... Lore. All right, lore. <laughs> not Tata's brother. But, um, I wanted to say a thing. Uh, I'm going to. So, do it, man. Do it. So yeah, I I think 
I like this movie most in terms of its playfulness. And I like the culture critique stuff too, but like it's I don't think it's like trying to be hardcore thematically focused. Right. Like you were saying, like, what's the stock boy thing? And to me it's like and it's just kind of like a fun mutation. Like everything's a fun mutation of shallow eighties consumer society. Um, even though I like it and it's fun. I'll say, since you mentioned this movie, the masterpiece of doing that, that like is actually trying to dismantle and attack this kind of culture, is Gremlins. Like That's a movie that I think is, in a more focused way, uh, making a pointed critique of this. And this On movie purpose. is just yeah. like, this is fun! What, look at this ridiculous! What if the stock boys became murderous warlords? Right, I mean, it's playing with it for fun. And then it goes, okay, and we can just drop a line in that, that makes it make sense. Like, yeah. it, you know, the thing about movies like this is if you watch it with the, okay, I'm just going to believe what's going on on the screen is happening. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to ask why or I'm not going to decide whether or not it makes any sense. <laughs> then you can enjoy it. And if you do all those other things and it's just like, well, yeah, no, but you're... You're a stick in the mud, right? You're like, uh, yeah, you know, e even Laura in this, Laura White or whatever her name was, um, you know, she she eventually just shot herself up and went, everything's good, man. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you wanted to talk individual scenes. Did you have any in mind? No, oh, I mean, we can, uh, I mean, um, did you? <laughs> I mean, I didn't because, A, I think, I think I've already talked about kind of what I like about this. Yeah, we touched on the silly stock boys. It's fun. Shoe out. Sam's. I, I like how um, that scene is blocked because it's, it's funny how, like, ineffectual the shoes are. Like, you could have <laughs> had it, like, hit him in the head and been like, ow, but well, instead it's just kind of like, ugh. Well, it just like bounces well, off like there's nerf. certain things where he's like covering his face and trying to keep it from like hitting him and it's just like it is it's comical because you know if you've got a gun pointed at them and they're standing up and throwing shoes at you if you would just ignore the shoe and shoot them you'd win right <laughs> like there's not really a reason why this has to this has to it's a shoe it's not. It's it's annoying. It's annoying, and when it hits him, it just kind of bounces off. That that's the movie again, though. It's like it's um not taking this seriously. Like it's it, that's kind of like bringing a shoe to the gunfight. It's like this movie in some ways in microcosm. It's like just yeah, like undercutting itself in, in very fun and funny ways. Well, I mean. Um Okay, here's a, a particular thing. I think it, it means something or it was just kind of a trope at the time, but the, the girl gamer, right? Oh, Reg, sure. Reggie's, like, for the first 15 minutes of that movie, she's really into that game and it's really important to her. She's mm -hmm. talking back to her boss because of it and this and that, blah, blah, blah. And, like, she's I don't know. got to get DMK I, off I, that I put in a box here, you know, way back when we watched this in March, 80s hair playing video game. <laughs> Which I guess is just something I remember a lot. Mm -hmm. um, I like her playing that video game. It's interesting. I think of the character of Cameron on the TV show by Christopher Cantwell. Um, 
halt and catch fire, mm-hmm. right? Like Cameron's, you know, got the got the the quarter with a hole drilled in it and <laughs> putting it in the thing oh, and pulling sure. it out. Okay. And and this and that and uh, but she's always playing all the video arcade games. But she has like punk eighties hair, like you know, chopped close, the shaved shaved head basically. Right. <laughs> and and. Um, Reggie has giant, blown out, like perfectly looking, like luscious locks of '80s hair. Which even uh, one of the scientists who gets put on laughing gas at the thing goes like, mm-hmm. "I mean, if I had her hair, I'd, I, I'd almost kill to have her hair." Right. I mean, they're they're very lush locks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's she's got the, she's got the. I mean, I've never liked that kind of big hair thing. Uh, very it's, 80s. It's never been my preference, but um, apparently it was a big deal back then. Yeah, and uh, if you could have that, you were pretty awesome, like Sigourney you Weaver or something like that. Oh, sure, yeah. Weaver. I'm trying to think who else had that hair. I don't know what I expected talking about individual <laughs> scenes to go like. <laughs> I didn't expect this. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, this that's good. so we end up talking about the scene where someone compliments the main character's hair, um, and the, it's hard for me because like it's not like there aren't set pieces, but what makes this movie work is um, and is like part of the Joss Whedon of it all is that it's a vibe movie. It's about like how everyone's kind of funny together, uh, moment to moment, and that's where the movie like has its secret sauce. I think. So it's not like, oh, that car blowing up set piece, not like it's badly made, but I'm not like, oh, so it's incredible like how they did this. I'm like, no, no, it's it's a funny movie. Well, well, there is a certain amount of budget cutting that's pretty uh, amazing, like all the all the lab scenes, like where mm-hmm. they have, you know, long hallways with a bunch of lights and stuff like that, and it's like a really good shot, and yeah. they actually leave that shot for a while because it's like, okay, I don't know what set that's from. <laughs> It's clearly from another movie. Like, nobody right. built this for you. You just found something on a back lot. Uh, like, yeah, totally. <laughs> but, but, you know, all that stuff looks cool. You're right. Uh, and the shot of, uh, what's, what's her name? Heroine lady? <laughs> Who kills herself? Reggie? No. Uh, uh, Laura? Yeah, the, uh, when Laura's going to the helicopter to, you know, go to the mall, that scene looks cool, too. Like, you have this big warehouse door opening, and suddenly there's a helicopter, like, right there in the background. Like, there's stuff that looks good. I think it's kind of miraculously made for its budget, and you know, the Red Sky stuff. And yet, what sticks in my memory of the movie is just its general goofy feeling. Oh, by the way, the guy that she sleeps with in the projection booth, his name's Larry. 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 See, that's another misname. That guy's not a Larry. That guy's like a Doug. Or a Kirk. Kurt. Not a Kirk. A Kurt. Oh, there's another motif that I really like that they use in this. Mm-hmm. Um, which, I mean, is, is kind of common. And it probably comes, if we're talking pastiche again, yep. it probably comes from uh, Failsafe or The Day After Tomorrow. One, both of which were 80s movie I mean, Failsafe was a 50s movie, but they did, like, a redo of Failsafe right. uh, in the middle, like, in the 80s of the Cold War. And then there was, I think it was The Day After Tomorrow, 
which is like what the world looks like after the frickin' nukes go off and this and that. Right. But the thing that this movie keeps doing is they keep doing the kind of Ray Bradbury, there will, there will come soft rains thing, which is, you know, interstitially in between set pieces or scenes, they have pictures of, you know, well, everyone's dead, but the sprinklers are still going, or oh, Felice sure. Navidad's still playing on the record player on automatic. Right. Or, uh, you know, the... The mechanic's little dancing animatronic, like, <laughs> sign sign waver guy is, is getting triggered and stuff like that. Yeah, the, the car dealership. Yeah, and then, you know, of course, uh, the idea with, like, the bicycle is just lying in the street and the, wind, the wheel is slowly turning. <laughs> Mijo. <laughs> um, <laughs> that sort of thing. So I, I really did like that motif, too, right, which is... You know, the the technology uh, the technology that we've all built and everything we've done will go on without us, um, and maybe even the survivors will embrace that and go on, you know, in this weird nuclear family that they've created, despite the fact that there's nothing enforcing that anymore. There's no society to to be like, do it. Right. I mean, yeah, I'll say that because like you're right that. A lot of this composition-wise is, like, good. Like, it never takes you out of it because it is always a respectful uh, simulacrum of what it is uh, paying homage to. Uh, and in that way, it kind of makes me think of what I like about the band Me First and the Gimme Gimmies, which is, like, the possibility of kind of doing a piss take, like, goofing around on previously existing material... But, uh, well, no, it gets back to, I forget who says this, but, like, the quote is that the best parodies have to love the thing they're parodying. Like, a mean-spirited parody sucks. Right. This is, like, it knows all the beats of the things that inspire it super well, and it recreates them really well, and then at the same time is like, this is so fun! Why don't we don't take this seriously? <laughs> well, and there's a lot of things in this, like for such a budget movie, they have really good like car, um, like moving cinematography. Mm -hmm. Like when she's riding the motorcycle and they're cruising next to her. Yeah. I mean, just they're probably just hanging out the window in a car with a, a super 16 millimeter camera going, keep it steady. <laughs> like, but you know, they like all the little transportation intercuts and stuff were, were very well done. I, I agree. Which I mean, a lot of the other stuff is kind of cheesy, but yeah, like th this is this is a really good example of budget filmmaking. I don't know where they got the strip joint looking radio station. That uh, place is cool. But it's like, I mean, it looks like they probably just shot it what four or five a.m. at a strip joint and made it a radio station. Uh, yeah, they, I think they just found it, and like that's you know that's a good strategy for budget filmmaking. Is like some of the coolest shots are just it's just L.A. Like you go to the right place in L.A. Well, yeah, point it this way, and you'll get. And there's a lot of shots of them in L.A., like the character standing in a deserted L.A., which mm -hmm. I don't think you could even get nowadays. Like in 1984, probably at like at sunrise, you could get it. Yeah. Like sunrise on a holiday. Like, <laughs> you know, go to a cool bridge in Echo even. Park or yeah. something. But I mean, like, to have the the background landscape of, you know, the Union Bank building and, and all these things, and no cars on the road in L.A. Right. Like, we know they didn't pay to close it down. No, I would get this shot. Not. Like, so it's like, 
Okay, so, so somebody thought ahead and location scouted this and like went like, if we do it at a, on a holiday at 4 a.m., look, we're trying to make everything in a red filter anyway. Yeah. So, uh, you know. Yeah, I do like, I, I, I've always liked stuff like that, which is movies that are shot cheap but still look good. Yeah, I mean, it's th- I am sure that is something that your mind is taken up with when you think of the film you want to make. Exactly. <laughs> that, that's why I think about it so much. But I don't really think uh, very many people think that way anymore. Because, I mean, to be honest, I would hope getting a fairly high-quality camera, you don't have to steal that shit anymore. <laughs> like, it's on oh, your I phone. See. <laughs> like if people are thinking about li- making a low budget movie they're just thinking do I know how to compose a film together and I can shoot this on my iPhone 4, pl- 4 or above right right um, and probably get the quality that you know uh, Betacam SP got back in the day <laughs> <laughs> oh man that I think I have my idea, f- idea for my two movie submissions now because uh, there's a movie I'm going to throw out that's uh, shot on an iPhone. Well, yeah, there's a question. Do do we want to do Metacritical this time? I think we can take a break if we want um. <laughs> um, We can take a break, but how long are we? Where where are we? Oh, we got, we got an hour. We got an hour? I say skip Metacritical this time. Yeah. We've, we've given you guys something better. Discussion. Exactly. And... Well, you've got ideas for movies ben. for next week? <laughs> I do. I have, I have two that have come up organically in the course of our talk. I haven't thought about anything, but, th- you know, throw, throw one out. Okay, so first, one I already said and that I want to revisit because I, um, I love both the films in this franchise. Uh, and I think they should make a third because, like, because they've both been so good. Uh, it's Gremlins. Gremlins is a cool movie. I... Okay. And uh, what else you got? <laughs> Gremlins, it's great. <laughs> uh, and then we've got a Gremlin and Gremlins that's basically Tom Waits. When I pulled my father out of the fireplace, <laughs> that's why I don't like Christmas. It's so good. Nobody in the writers' room <laughs> raised their hand and said, "You know, maybe this is bad." No, it's not. It's so great. And see, we could talk all about why it's great. Save it for the cast. <laughs> Okay, and then the other, which was shot entirely on an iPhone, and uh, is a director that I'm now fully in the tank for, because he made The Florida Project, one of my favorite movies of recent times. Uh, That is Sean Baker's Tangerine. Um, I did like Tangerine when I saw it. Oh, you saw Tangerine? Well... What? We do movies that we've seen. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay, you know what? If you've seen Tangerine, I'm just going to put Florida Project out there. No, put Tangerine up. I, I, I would sponsor that one. Oh, would you? That's okay. Florida Project, too. Okay, Tangerine, then. Good. I, I, I like those two. I'll throw out two. I'll just do it. I'll pick two movies that I'll throw out. I thought of one earlier this week, and I don't remember what it was. Mm. <laughs> but um, I can come up with something, right? Um, um, yeah, because I've been on, on a big noir kick right now. So, Ooh, uh, Dark Passage. Dark Passage. A Dark who, Passage. Who made that? Bogey and Bacall. I'm trying to think of who made it. Doesn't come up. Might be Billy Wilder. Huh? I don't know. I don't know who did it. 
but I know it's Bogey and Bacall. Okay, And cool. it's one of those with, like, the, um, you know, the beginning of the movie is all shot in first person from Bogey's perspective mm -hmm. because he undergoes plastic surgery. Mm -hmm. And they didn't want to do two faces for him. Okay. So they wait until he's undergone the plastic surgery. Yeah, interesting. Until, yeah. Um, which was something else that was uh, reused for the entire film, The Lady in the Lake, which, which yeah, I could go ahead and suggest that that one, too. <laughs> Who, and who's in The Lady in the Lake? I don't know. Ooh, or you're, you're never going to believe me. All right, now you got to put up another one. I have to put up another. Okay. I'm going to put up... Hmm. So Lady in the Lake isn't as fun. You're never going to believe me is great because it's... It's basically just a guy going against society and then punishing himself. Okay. I'll put it that way. Uh, okay. For my other one... So I put up three black and white movies. You put up some very colorful ones. Why don't you go with another colorful one? Okay. I'll, I'll We've already done What Dreams May Come, so don't even think about it. <laughs> but I'm so longing to revisit. I'm, I'm so, I still want to go back to heaven. It's time. Cuba Gooding, take me. Um, <laughs> I'll do one that I'm working on for my movie project. I'm in the year 91, and I'll throw out Barton Fink. Hey, for some new listeners that we might have had, um, what is your movie project again? You know, it's I'm just going chronologically. It started out as I watch all the best pictures. Start, I started in 1960, and then I collected, like, Back then, I think I would do like maybe 15 or 20 other films of interest. Um, but as I've gone on, I'm like, you know what? I'm here. I'm just going to do like a bunch. So now I'm doing like 80 So films you're in 1991 and you finished 1990. Just finished 1990. How many did you do ago. for 1990? I think I did 80. 80? Yeah, that's where we're at. Well, that's where we're at now. Because what I realized is, say a film like this, a uh, film like Night of the Comet... That was getting left off because when I do an essential list, it's, you know, it's Coen Brothers stuff. It's big auteurs. But I wanted to get a taste of, like, kind of the beloved, like, sleazy movies and the genre thrillers um, and, and animated films. Yeah, so, so now I'm casting a wide net. I'm doing 80-ish 80, 80 per year. Okay, so we've got six movies to choose from. We can each select one, right? Yeah. This is our convoluted system, which I meant to be ever-changing and stuff, but we've kind of uh, kind of narrowed it down to, to the way we do it. Yeah, it's like one of those weird, like, New Hampshire caucus-type deals where it's like, wait, this doesn't make sense, and then they, they throw rings at a pig, and whichever one the pig picks, that gets eliminated, but then they ask the pig what movie it prefers, and if it squeals a C note then it's the person's... Okay. Stop me. But, <laughs> yes, I'm going to stop you. Um, because we've crafted this over time, and it seems to work. So we got six movies, right? We got Lady in the Lake. We got Barton Fink. We got Tangerine. We got uh, you're, You'll you'll Never Believe Me. We've got um, um, another Bogey. one that you said, Gremlins. And we've got uh, The Dark Passage. Yes. Um, so you pick one to put up. Why don't you pick one of mine to put up since we got three each this time and I'll okay. make sure I pick one of yours. Okay, I'm going to pick Dark Passage. Dark Passage, interesting choice. Because I've never seen any Bogey Bacall. 
Now I'm going to put up your never get up with me. What? I'm kidding. <laughs> I'll put up tangerine. Okay, okay. So those are the two. Those are the two. And I want one, two, shoot. three, shoot for it. Okay. All right. Odds. Okay. Ready? One, two, three, shoot! It's even. Even. So that's you. So we're doing tangerine. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay, we're doing tangerine. That's interesting. I like the idea of picking at least three and then making so that we choose the others. I also, I think, yeah, going forward, I think we should do that you have to choose one from the other persons. Cause I don't think we have to do anything. Like, if somebody wants to be a dick one day and is just like, nope, I'm not doing it. I'm, I'm, I'm making sure one of mine continues to I guess, but, but it can. makes sense because then there's an interest in statesmanship and, like, selling your movie to try to get the person to pick, you know, that one. That's true. Well, you know, we'll keep doing this. Yeah, I like doing this podcast. I appreciate everybody listening. We, uh, we very much appreciate you. Hit us with comments. We're, we're all alone in the void here. Oh, yeah, we what's our Twitter handle? My Twitter handle is... Brady, B-R-A-D-Y, Mick, M-C, Larson, L-A-R-S-E-N. And I'm Wobbly Rain King, you know, Wobbly, but uh, but that, that song from The Counting Crows. And then our actual page, which is what I expected you to say. Oh, I thought you, uh, sorry. Uh, yeah, Carney Couch. Carney Couch, yes. Which you have. C-A-R-N-Y Couch, it's in the song for... It's in the song for understudy. Ah, uh, yes. And do tweet us your guesses as to what characters we are doing for understudy. I mean, there was a lot of, there was a lot of me talking about Star Trek, so who knows what, what I could have been doing. I don't know. I'll just leave a hint there because I didn't do a very good job <laughs> doing the impersonation. Um, and uh, do you have anything else to say? No. Um, I... Um, had a fun time with this movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, join us next week uh, for Carnivorous Couch on uh, Dark Passage. Tangerine. Oh, Tangerine. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I thought I had you fooled. Did we mention anyone today? No. No, we didn't. Three, two, one, Humphrey Bogart theme song! <laughs> Carnivorous couch, it happens once a week It swallows us for two hours when we try to sleep It forces us to watch a film about which we then speak Carnivorous couch With Brady and Rob <laughs>